Well, welcome back to the When I Heard This podcast. My name is Nate Robinsoff, and I'm here with Joseph Tillman. How are you, Joseph? I'm splendid. That's a new one. That's a new one. I'm, I'm splendid today. It's a new one. Yeah. So uh, today we are doing the um, uh, um, Will the One True God Please Stand Up Part 3. Uh, we just want to mention up top. You guys can find us on social media, so go follow us there on Facebook and Instagram at When I Heard This Podcast. And we have a Patreon now. We said there was two or three tiers last time, but we really only have one tier. It's only five bucks. And if you guys want to help us continue to grow this thing and want to throw some money that way, we will use all of it to grow the podcast for the time being until we tell you otherwise. And at this point, we will get started with the podcast. All right. So last time, well, last two times, we talked about God being the only one true God. And we were recording on a new day this time. And so I thought of other things to ask you. So I had one more, one more question about that whole part of this. And that is, you mentioned, you mentioned that you don't keep stuff that is like, like demon gateways or whatever mm-hmm. in your home. But I know you went to Jesus school <laughs> for many years and I'm sure you read stuff like the Quran and the book of Mormon mm-hmm. and um, the book of the church of Satan. Did you ever read that one? Never read that one. Okay. <laughs> well, why not? It wasn't required reading. <laughs> and so you had to have those things around because you went to school 50 years ago when <laughs> there wasn't the internet. <laughs> 20 years ago. <laughs> okay. And the internet was it was there. Okay. <laughs> so you had to have had those, those demon-bringing-any devices around your house. <laughs> so do you still have stuff like that? And, like, how do you feel about having things like that if people do? And, and like, do you have stuff like that for, for referencing purposes or going to look up or just use your phone? Yeah, so I did go to Jesus school. It was <laughs> theology school, but yes. Um, and 20 years ago, we did have to read certain sections of those kind of books. But, like, so I have no problem, like, picking up the Book of Mormon or Quran and reading through it for research purposes and to know what's there. Do I keep one at my house or even in my office at this point? I don't. If I was knowing that I needed to address a specific topic that I felt like I needed to use a Quran or Book of Mormon to be able to make sure that I fully make sure that I fully knew what was actually said in the Quran or what mm-hmm. was actually said, for example, in the Book of Mormon, as opposed to just reading about it or reading someone said that this was in there, but I'd want to actually know. Um, I'd have no problem going, grabbing one, and reading through it. But no, I do not just keep them in my house or even in my office. So, so when you had to read them in school, what did you do with them? Afterwards? Yeah. Or did you like... 
leave them outside your apartment when you didn't have to read it, like in the mailbox or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I no, we we read them. Um, so I had them. So I had other <laughs> other books too. Yeah, if it was for academic purposes, I had it. I read it. I wasn't, you know, throwing anointing oil on it every time I, you know, opened it or anything. Because I do think we have to have the confidence that just because I'm reading something that is going against scripture, what we believe that, you know, that God is able to guard, protect my heart. And I'm not worried about some demon jumping off of it, you know, to me, um, especially as I'm reading it and trying to understand it. But I would, you know, if one of my older kids was to ask, dad, can we go through it? So I can understand it. I would not have a problem doing that either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would, you know, I just think that we can get so skittish about this kind of stuff where we're not really, not really serious about what actually is being said. Like I just find it really hard to believe that I can argue against Mormonism without having read at least parts or portions of their documents. Okay. You know, and so I just think it's only fair. You know, it's like. I just, anyways, I just feel like it's just, I just feel like there's an academic honesty and integrity that has to take place in studying and researching. Okay, so this episode, we wanted to, like, talk about how society has really pushed this this more than one God thing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what are the biggest threats in our society, not necessarily in the church, but in our society that has pushed people to believe in more than one God? Sure. Well, in our current society or to believe in other gods. Right. Sure. So I think in our current society, a, a couple of things come to mind. First is the fact that pluralism is so widely accepted. And so that is, yeah. So in our, okay. So in our post-Christian post-modern society, pluralism or the belief in many gods or the mm-hmm. belief in many ways to God have become so widely accepted that believing in just one God as the only way is is not widely embraced anymore. Because, okay. the, because again, this, the larger society would say, no, there is, you know, one's religion, that's their, that's their choice, right? So mm-hmm. if you want to worship the Christian God or you want to worship Buddha or you want to worship... Allah or, you know, whatever it may be, that all of those things are to be affirmed and accepted and, and embraced altogether. So I think the first is that, the, the pluralism part. Mm-hmm. But then secondly, there really is a growing movement of secularism away from a belief in any form or type of spirituality. And so where either one does not believe in any God or any higher power or simply doesn't even care enough to even entertain the question of if there is a God or higher power. So I think those are the two things. On one hand, the pluralism must embrace many things. On the other hand, secularism, which is more of we're just going to move away from any form or type of spirituality or religion at all. And so like, how did that get to the church? Okay. Yeah. So, well, I think that unfortunately culture has always had a way of finding itself 
in the church. And so in our present context, so with the rise of postmodernism as a worldview and therefore embracing pluralism within that postmodern worldview, because the reason I say that is because postmodern's worldview rejects any sense of objective truth. Okay. Okay. And so if there's no objective truth, then I cannot tell someone that what they're believing is wrong because that's their truth. In other words, if they want to worship Buddha, that's their truth. And so, you know, or if I want to worship Jesus, that's fine, but you've got to be cool with embracing all religions. Okay. And because it's, you'll hear the word like tolerance a lot, but it's really, to be honest with you, it's not tolerance. It, it really is an, a sense of affirmation, not just that we're tolerating it, but that we're affirming it. It's really what postmodernism and, and, and thus pluralism is wanting to push, okay? I never and, understood that word tolerance because it could be like a positive word and it could also be a negative word. Yeah, like, I think it's a... I tolerate it. <laughs> right. I think it's a poor word choice, <laughs> to be honest. But anyways... And so, therefore, in the church, what's happened is you have a couple of movements, one being a, a liberal Christianity, one being a progressive Christianity. Both would hold to a, there can be the belief in more than one God. Now, okay. you do have some progressives in particular that would, and, and, and liberals, that would hold to some liberal Christians, some progressive Christians that would hold to, no, there's only one God. But you also, in those camps, have the idea that there can be more than one God. And so that's the so that's kind of how it's going to the church in regards to pluralism and in believing in more than one God is really now more through the vein of liberal Christianity and progressive Christianity. And again, I think that's—but then we have so many people leaving the church, on the other hand, and, and, and kind of this— response to a more secular worldview that is actually, you know, re- again, rejecting any kind of belief in God or higher power or, again, just not caring. Um, are there passages or verses in the Bible that lead people to believe there is more than one God? Okay, so to make sure I'm understanding the question right, there's no verses in Scripture that would affirm there being more than one true God. Okay. So now, for example, you have in the Old Testament in particular passages of Scripture where individuals are worshiping other gods or, for example, the gods of the Philistines. Okay. So you would have a passage of scripture that would speak about, you know, the, the God of the Philistines. Okay. Or, but it's not in the sense of, well, it's okay for them to worship their God as long as Israel or the people of God worship Yahweh. No, it's always, there's only one true God. They're worshiping false gods. What Christian principles then lead liberal and progressive Christians okay. towards the belief that there is that that all gods are 
that if you believe in a different God, it's it's the same thing as what I believe in yeah. my God, and okay. and we all go to the same place. Or sure. Whatever. All right. So there's been a couple of thoughts here. Okay. okay. One is that there is this sense that there's been a what's called a progressive revelation okay. of God. And this progressive revelation of God would start out with saying, okay, well, in the days of Moses, you had one perspective of God. And then in the days, let's say, of King David and later prophets, there is this, there's another kind of perspective or revelation of God. Like we're kind of coming to understand God better. Okay. And then it moves forward into Jesus. Okay. We're starting to understand God better through a revelation of who Jesus is. Okay. And then this progressive revelation continues on. And it, what you basically end up with is the sense of, all right, there's really not, or there is one God, but we're all beginning to like so all people groups all over the world have actually been worshiping this one god but they're calling him by a different name okay or they're calling him or they're recognizing different characteristics of that of of so they're actually not saying there's multiple gods there's one god that's progressively revealed himself okay but people are picking up on different parts of this, okay? So, okay. for example, all right, so maybe the Christians are picking up on a part of God as revealed by Jesus. Okay. But then maybe Muslims are picking up on another aspect of God revealed through Muhammad. Okay. Then, all right, maybe the Buddhists are picking up other aspects of God through Buddha, right? Okay. And so it, so in other words, they're all therefore accepted as valid religions, quote unquote, but they're all actually leading to the same God. That, that doesn't seem like it would bode well for business. What? Like saying that your competition is going to get you the same end result as we are doesn't seem like you're going to keep business going very well. (laughs) Right. Well, you're right. And I think that's what we've experienced, right? Okay. I mean, like, look at the decline in Christianity in America. Um, And one of the reasons is that, that other religions, maybe not quite as much recently, but over time began to grow as well. And so I think there's a point in which you go, yeah, so they're, you know, yeah, I don't have to just worship this one God. And then I think, so that's one aspect, right? This progressive revelation aspect is one. The progressive revelation that that everyone's right. (laughs) Basically. Okay. Yeah. And so what you, whatever, you know, whoever, whatever you're worshiping as God is just, Kind of like a part revelation, okay. Okay, of 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 one God. The other part of it is what and what we see a lot of, especially in the in more the postmodern mindset, is the idea of pluralism and the i but also the idea of God loving everybody. 
And so when you ask, like, are there passages in the Bible that would lead you to believe that it's okay to mm. worship more than one God, there's a sense of, well, but God loves everyone. And therefore, because he loves everyone, we need to love everyone too. And to love everyone well is to affirm that whoever they're worshiping is okay. Okay, so that that also... <laughs> That also so isn't, for business. isn't saying that you're better than the competition. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. And it's just uh, the idea is this is just birthed out of the idea of love. Okay. Like, and so like we all need to love each other. We all need to, and by love again, the, it means affirm. So the ones, so like whether they're Hindus or whether they're Muslims or whatever it may be, whoever they're worshiping, well, God loves them. So it's okay. So where, where do all, all the other millions or what are billions or whatever of the gods in the Hindu religion, Hindu, Hindu, you said mm-hmm. last time, mm-hmm. how does that factor into any of those possibilities for what the church is saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they would, I think the church would probably respond, the, the, the liberal, the progressive church would respond with saying that, you know, one, who are we to tell them they're wrong? Because there's no objective truth, remember? Okay. And so who are we to tell them they're wrong? And so I, and I understand, like, <laughs> just like that. I don't look at your face, like, oh, that's crazy. And so, um, <laughs> but if there's no objective truth, I, I mean, who, again, who am I to say they're wrong? So can't we all just be right? And that everyone can worship whatever God they want to worship, and it's okay We'll end up in the same place. My my immediate thoughts are, aren't there a lot of things that directly conflict in all the different religions that would... That yeah. would sure. Almost every religion has exclusive truth claims. In okay. other words, that they could... That, that, you know, so in particular, in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, you have just flat out exclusive truth claim of no but their religion is the only religion right like Jews would say no we've got it right 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 uh, Muslims would say no 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 we have it right Christians would say no we have it right so they're all making exclusive truth claims so they actually cannot be all held together okay yeah like, I mean there's like a contradiction the, the sun in of itself is, is like a billion different things. <laughs> yeah over the course of forever right 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 and so yeah so i i think that we can kind of get caught up in the well god loves them so it's okay so we'll affirm them because it's okay because at the end god loves them and, and and i think there's two kind of thoughts on this the idea of god loving them. one being there's there's only one god he loves them he knows they're wrong in what they're worshiping but because he loves them he's still going to allow them to be with him for eternity in heaven. So you can go to heaven no matter what you do. Right. Or who you worship. Right. Right. Because God loves right. you. And, because, because God loves me. Right. And, you know, to quote uh, an author who became fairly famous about 15 years ago, love wins. And so because love wins and God is love, then God will win. So goes the logic. And... And God's winning, quote-unquote, is everyone being with him in heaven for eternity. Now, 
I could sit there and tear apart that argument pretty quickly. And, but that is, that's where the argument comes from. Okay. okay? So God loves and he tolerates whatever. And then there's the other part is, well, God loves and he, he and, and not only loves it, he actually delights in who they're worshiping because it's really him. And, and at least they're worshiping something or some part or some characteristic or some revelation of him and he actually would delight in it and so that's more than i could ever dream of going or saying but whatever and so i it was interesting so like in the in the theology school i went to Mm -hmm. so about to clear this up in the theology school i went to like i went to a very liberal theology school okay okay so when i talk about liberal christianity it's not like i'm talking about it from afar that was that was where I studied for three years, mm-hmm. right? I mean, almost 90 credit hours. That's where I studied for three years. And and so I was learning from professors surrounded by students who were liberal Christians. And so, and, and I do understand where they're coming from. And the reality is most of them are coming from a place of a good heart. They want to love people, to accept people, to embrace people to want the best for people. Like I, I get all of that. The problem is we can't have love being divorced from truth or we really don't have love at all. Like it's not loving for me to tell one of my small kids. Yeah, that's okay. You could hit your brother. It's fine. I know at some point I have to say that's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's objectively wrong. You cannot just go hit your brother for no reason. And so, but I feel like in the church, it's like we've gotten to the point where we don't want to tell people they're wrong because we do want the best for them. We do care for them. But if for me to have, hold to scripture as truth, if I, if I accept scripture as the authority of my life as a Christian and that there's truth in it, then I have to hold to what scripture says. And I think what's happened in so many camps. So John Wesley had this phrase where he, what he called, well, I won't say he called it this. We have called it this for Wesley basically, but the, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And Wesley was the founder of, of uh, Methodism. Methodism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Of Methodism. Yeah. In the 1700s. Okay. okay. From England. And so John Wesley with, and so what has been ascribed to John Wesley is that he had this Wesleyan quadrilateral where scripture, reason, experience, and tradition were all held simultaneously together, but scripture was the ultimate authority. Okay, In other words, it's okay to have experience, it's okay to have tradition, it's okay to have reason— but understand that all of those things must fall under Scripture. Okay. okay. I think what's happened today is we've kind of put all of those flat, and we've not given either one, we've not given any of them an authority, like, you know, they're all equals, mm-hmm. or in some cases we choose one over the other. Um, and I think often what's happening in today's church is we're choosing the experience or the feeling over everything else. And so it's like... So as long as I'm experiencing, quote-unquote, God, 
mm-hmm. then that's the important thing. It must mean that's the right, the right one. Thing. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And that what and if and if and if one's experience is good for them, quote unquote, however we're defining good, right. but it's good for them, then according to them. According to them, then that must be good. Okay. And I think scripture would I think if we hold scripture as an ultimate authority, he would say, Well, you can experience some things that might feel good or might seem good, but actually are not good mm-hmm. for you. And so I think that's one of the ways in which people have, again, with good intention, wanting everyone to just, you know, get along and be together and be loved and I, I get all that. But for me, like I have to keep coming back to scripture and saying, but no, but but scripture, scripture lets me know about the one who is truth. And the one who is truth is Jesus, God. And so, I mean, Jesus himself said it, right? I'm the way, the truth, the life. And so there's truth there. And he's very clear that no one comes to the Father, that same verse, no one comes to the Father except through him. And, you know, repeatedly in Paul's letters, you know, that salvation is by grace through faith alone, and that faith is in Christ Jesus, not in any other thing. And so, therefore, only by faith in Jesus am I saved. And I think that's what, it's like, if we begin, you almost have to begin picking and choosing what's in Scripture to hold to, right? Okay. And so, and that's not like this far-off thing, like my systematic theology class in theology school, I mean, that, that is what basically we were taught to do. What, what are the parts you like? Accept those. What are the parts you don't like? Throw them out. R- really? Really. It's not good for business. <laughs> No, maybe not. Because you're throwing out parts that somebody else really likes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's it, it was a it's an interesting experience for a few years. Hmm. Yeah. But but to be honest with you, I'm glad I went there. It challenged me. I mean, every day going to class, I had to be I had to be ready to answer questions and ready to be willing to differ with people. And that's not bad. Um, and also willing to have my eyes open to, you know, to, to certain things and to, you know, see things, um, through a different, different perspective. Well, it's not good for business. Okay. Maybe not. <laughs> I think the Jews and the Muslims and the Buddhists and the Hindus should all be running ads with Christian preachers, like montages of them saying all gods are equal and, and if, you know, doesn't matter which <laughs> God you love, we're all going to heaven. Right. And then say, come be a Jew <laughs> at the end of it. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, right? You're not wrong. Okay. I mean, if that's, yeah, you're not wrong. And and I think that's why, and, I, and to be honest with you, I think it's, I mean, it's obviously one of the reasons that's led to so much confusion of what do Christians actually believe. Okay. Because you have so many people who claim we're Christians what does that mean? You know, like, and, and what claim is it, you know, what is it that you're claiming by saying that? Are you claiming that, okay, you're a Christian, good. Everyone else needs to be a Christian or needs to believe in Jesus. Or are you saying, well, you're a Christian. That's fine. People can go be whatever they want to be. So I think, 
there's been just a lot of confusion even in this point in, in time of just even what a Christian even is. So what would you say that the like the Christian leaders that are preaching this or preaching this sort of message, like mm-hmm. what do they what do they believe in then? Yeah. Well, I guess since this is an essential doctrine, they're too far off. Like, would you even consider these places churches? Would you consider them Christians? I guess not. Or no, okay. I, no. I mean, <laughs> if if you don't believe Jesus Christ is the only way um, to to God, then no, I do not think you're a Christian. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, meaning all the other ones are wrong. And we have the best stuff, so <laughs> come <Yeah>. on down. <laughs> <laughs> Not only the best, the really the only. Okay. And so, yeah. So I think I do think. So no, I would not say that they are. I would not say they are followers of Jesus. It's the best way to how to put that. Okay? okay. So I don't think they're followers of Jesus. I do not think there's anywhere in Scripture that allows me the space to say, "Yeah, you just believe whatever you want to believe in." It's okay. I mean, no, like straight up. I mean, as early as we get in Scripture and as clearly as we get in Scripture, I'll do clearly, as clearly as we get in Scripture with the Ten Commandments, you're going to have no other God but me. That's it. Done. Like, I I think that's pretty clear. Jesus saying, I am the only way to the Father. That's very clear. Now, in saying that, there is a verse that I do understand where, all right, so in Colossians chapter one is a very popular verse among progressive Christians. Okay. And what they're believing, so I'm going to read the verse in a second, but to give you an idea of how they're approaching it, through this verse, what they're saying is there's only, there's only one God. Jesus is God. Jesus died for everybody. Okay, so, so far we're trucking, right? Mm-hmm. One God. Jesus is God. Jesus died for everybody. I'm I'm saying yes, yes, and yes to this so okay. far. But then they say, in dying for everybody, he reconciled all people to himself, and therefore all individuals created will be with him forever. Okay. okay, that's the leap they're making. All, so, so everyone's going to get there no matter what. Correct, because Christ already died for all of, for everybody. Well, then everything's chaos. Then everything could be chaos. Yeah, if you chose to buy into that. Right, right. Because that's do whatever you want. Right. So I'm taking that to the extreme. <laughs> I know you would, Nate. <laughs> so I'm just going to read. Some verses here, and, and I, I'm hoping that it will bring some clarity. Okay, so okay. this is in Colossians chapter one. Okay, beginning in verse 19 is where we'll begin. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, that being Jesus, and through Him or through Jesus to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That made it seem pretty clear that he reconciled everything to himself, because it says that, all right? So they're right. 
so far. So far. Verse 21. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. So far? So far they're right. So far they're right. Okay. Verse 23. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. So now it's just the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, so now in verse 23, there's that if. Right. Right? You're reconciled, you're wholly blameless before him, if... You remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, steadfast in the faith, and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And they're very clear on what this gospel is. Paul's very clear on what this gospel is. Mm -hmm. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose from the grave, and he ascended to be with the Father. That's the gospel. Right. Okay? And so... Even though progressives progressives would want to quote Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, you got to keep reading. And you can't stop at verse 22 either. You got to keep reading all the way through verse 23 to get the full picture of what Paul is actually saying. And I think this is a classic example of what individuals will do to justify their position via scripture. Okay. They'll take one or two verses or maybe a few verses out of context and say, well, see, scripture says this. We have to make sure as we're reading through scripture that we're keeping everything in context. So while it's always very dangerous to pull out a few verses and build a whole, you know, doctrine or theology on it. We need to be able to build doctrines and theologies because we can say that Scripture as a whole has led us to believe this, right? Not just two verses or three verses. And so, but yeah, you'll hear that verse quoted a lot in progressive circles. And again, I just think that it's unfortunate because if you keep reading, it becomes pretty clear that the ones that have been reconciled to Jesus— are the ones that have placed their faith in him and hold to the gospel in which they first believed. So that's that's the progressive kind of picture a lot of times. For the liberals, and, and liberals and, and progressives both, are not going to take Scripture as completely inspired, you know, inerrant, infallible. They're not going to do that, okay? Um and I think that's, for, for the liberals in particular, they really will tear apart Scripture. And therefore... Like in a good way or a bad way? In a bad way. Okay. And what I mean by that, by tear apart Scripture, is they will take Scripture and basically say, all right, well, here's all of the issues, the contradictions, the errors that are in Scripture. And basically what happens is they're, they then are not holding up a book they believe to be trustworthy. Uh, okay. And if they don't trust it, they're not going to, if they don't trust what's in here, 
Therefore, it leads them to begin really devising their own truth. Because if Scripture is not informing me of what is truth anymore, then I can choose whatever I want to either out of Scripture, like my systematic theology class did, just choose what I want, or maybe I just choose just the love passages. But then, you know, anyway, I'm creating my own filter of how I want to read Scripture. Okay. What I want to believe out of Scripture. So they don't end up throwing all of Scripture away, but they will only use the verses they want to use. And anytime we do that, it's just, it's such a dangerous game because who's to say actually what is right or wrong when we do that? And so I think that is like, so once scripture is undermined or the authority of scripture is undermined, then it really can just be whatever you feel or whatever you think is reasonable or whatever you philosophically believe that all of a sudden can form the basis of what you believe or deem to be truth. Okay. Yeah. And so you have a lot of leaders preaching or teaching that way. You know, I mean, a lot of my classmates were going on to be pastors or theologians, uh, professors themselves, and they were going to be leaving our school with a thought process of Scripture is not inspired, definitely not without error. Error is definitely not without contradiction. So therefore, we're going to really treat the Bible like you would any other book, to be honest with you. Like any other literary piece you would, mm. I mean, that's kind of how you would treat it. Like I'm going to do literary criticism through it, you know, or textual criticism, you know, or maybe you treat it like a historical document and you're going to use historical criticisms. Uh, that's mainly what you find in the liberal camps is using these different forms of criticisms to, to examine scripture. But what it basically ends up doing is causing you to not really know what you believe mm. or, you can create your own idea of what you want to believe. So if you're going to be a theologian without like an actual job that you're doing, what do you do all day? What do you mean a theologian without an actual job? Like if you're not trying to be a professor or a pastor or something, what do you do? You just theolize? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think I think we've got the, I think I think before you had to yes, go either you know, be a professor or go be a pastor, right? Mm -hmm. I think now I can just be a theologian because I've got enough people following me on social media. Okay, cool. Who like what I say. Mm -hmm. And they're following me and getting their theology from me. You should think about that. Um, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not heretics. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. Are there professors and pastors and theologians that don't realize they believe in more than one God after they, you know, and preach that stuff after they have torn apart the Bible? It's a conscious effort to take that verse that you just read and twist it when if you read a little bit farther you know that it doesn't mean it means the exact opposite of what it you're intending it to do right but are there pastors doing this that just 
don't realize this is the wrong way to preach? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, when I was in school, and and so when I was in theology school, we were told that we were being... We were, that we were being trained to be what they would call theologians in residence. In other words, we were being trained to be theologians as pastors, and we were being trained to be theologians as professors. Wherever, wherever we were, we were to be theologians, okay? Almost like more than anything else, that was like what we were was theologians. So there were people, you know, graduating from the school I was at, going out and being a pastor or maybe they were going and then pursuing their PhD to, you know, desire to be a professor. And absolutely they are with full good intentions. They were going to be teaching a a theology, teaching their version of truth that would absolutely open up individuals in their congregation or students that they were teaching to go, you know, well, you know what? I can go believe in this God and it's still okay. okay. Or I can believe in multiple gods and it's still okay. Because again, if you're not going to hold scripture as inspired truth, if you're not going to do that as a leader, even if you still hold to one God, right? Like, let's say you're still holding to one God. But as a leader, you've now opened up the people you're teaching or the people you're pastoring to say, well, you know what? If this isn't the objective, I, I can go believe in whatever I want to believe in. I mean, much less go, you know, go do whatever I want to go do. Come on down. Be a Jew. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that the reality is, is that, yeah, you've got leaders. And again, it's. I'm telling you, I was with these with, with these people, these individuals, classmates of mine, and 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 they really thought that they were going to be doing you know the right thing for people, the Lord's work. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, the Lord's work, and that, that's what they thought. And 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 it's to be honest with you, it still does. It saddens me so much because I know they were actually going to be teaching and leading in such a way. That it opened up people to go, well, I can believe whatever I want to believe in. I mean, if you don't have confidence as a leader that this word is inspired, you don't have confidence that this is where I find truth. If you don't have confidence that this is where I should derive my worldview, or if your confidence is only in my experience or my feeling or my own reason, man, I can go do what I want to do because it feels right or the experience is great, or I just rationally or philosophically think this is better. I can experience not here. Yes, exactly that too. With that verse that you read, like reading farther, how do these theologians not read the book a little farther and realize that their worldview isn't right? Yeah, that's a good question. Like they got the answers in front of them and they're not seeing it. So what is that? Yeah, but I think to be honest, most of us, see what we want to see in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, like in other words, if if we if we're trying to build a point, we're trying to, you know, like we were trying to make a point and we're trying to build the evidence to support it, we're gonna find passages of scripture to support it. Doesn't mean it's good theological work, right? It doesn't mean it's good interpretation. So it's like scientists. <laughs> you said it, I did. <laughs> 
But yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, like, what makes a good scientist? One who follows the evidence to the end, right? Right. One who sticks to facts. Okay. Okay. Of what can be observed and that kind of stuff. But they're going to stick to facts. And it's the same way. But it's so easy to just go, yeah, but man, I don't have all the facts. I don't have all the evidence. But I do have this theory. So, so in school, everyone was trying to be right about their interpretation. I think they believed that the way they were interpreting it was the right way. Okay. Because I think, I mean, I think they're, I think they're intellectually honest enough to believe that. Okay. That the way they were interpreting it was the right way. Uh, I guess, I, and it's again, it's about where you, your starting point, your, mm-hmm. your starting point. Like for me, I'm starting from the point that scripture is inspired, that it is without error, that it is without contradiction. But I'm also stating that Scripture has really difficult passages and really difficult things to understand that take time and effort to read through. That I'm all, and then I'm finally what I'm also saying is that there are times in Scripture where we are just left in a point of mystery where we don't know, we don't have all the answers, we don't fully understand it, and we say, that's a mystery to me. Like the entirety of Revelation? (laughs) For some people, the entirety of Revelation is an absolute mystery. And to be honest with you, for most people, it's, it's it's an absolute mystery. Because how many people have thought they understood Revelation, right? Or have put out theories of what revelation means or the end times and reality is you're we're we're taking our best guess at this thing well that's the only one that i could think of to go well that's not true because it hasn't happened yet (laughs) right yeah i mean now some people would say revelation has already happened Yeah, they would say that it started happening in 70 AD when the temple fell. Okay, well, we're off topic. Keep going. Okay. (laughs) I don't want to get into that yet. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, I think people believe the interpretation they're using is correct one, right? And so, I mean, we we use phrases like hermeneutics and exegesis, and and all all it means is that... (laughs) Exogesis? Exegesis. Is that the outer suit that Jesus wore that looked like Jesus? <laughs> no, no, at all, no. And so, exegesis, it's okay. When I got to theology school, they started using this phrase. I, my first question actually was like, what are they doing to Jesus? Like, I didn't know what they were talking about. But no, it actually has nothing to do with Jesus is it, is at it, all. Is it Jesus's old girlfriend? <laughs> Not Jesus X. Okay. No. So it's <laughs> no. So it's 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 so it's exegesis. E X E G E S I S. Okay. Yeah. So doesn't even have the name Jesus in it, okay? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's exegesis and it's just it's, in other words, the methodology in which I interpret, okay? Okay. Um, hermeneutics just being the tools that I use to interpret. Okay. Okay. And so to, to do proper exegesis, to do proper interpretation of Scripture. And I think a large problem is how people approach 
the interpretation of Scripture and what tools they're going to use to interpret Scripture. If I treat this, uh, the Bible, if I treat the Bible just like a any other work, any other literary work or historical work, if I treat it like that, the way that I'm coming in to interpret it is going to be very different than if I believe, no, but these are God's words. This is not like, that's what, well, I used to, I'm using the word inspired a lot this episode. Mm-hmm. And so the word inspired literally just means God breathes. And it's the understanding that these are God's words, that the Bible holds God's words in it. And so if I believe these are God's words, then I'm not going to approach it in the same way that if I believe, no, this was just a collection of letters and books by men a long time ago. That's, you're going to approach it in two completely different ways. Mm-hmm. And so if I believe the Bible is God's words that's inspired, they believe they're God's words, they're with, when I say inerrant, without error, and they're without error, then I'm going to I'm going to hold Scripture into such a high place mm-hmm. that it's going to be above reason. I mean, above any other. I'm going to hold it in such a high place that when I approach it to interpret it, the, the Bible in a lot of ways is standing over me. I'm not standing over it. Okay. And so, because I believe it's an authority over my life, as opposed to me coming to Scripture going, all right. I am an authority over it. So it interprets you. It Yes. It exo-Jesus is you. you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Something okay. like that. Okay. Yes. And and so, yeah, so I, I really think that people, again, they, they, they mean well in, in doing it, but the way they're interpreting it, their, their approach to it, when it's off, it leads to some really bad interpretations. And again, the way I understand this book, the way I approach it, it's going to determine how I interpret it so often. And you can have a, you can have people that really believe the Bible is inspired, really believe it's without error, and they're still going to come to different interpretations over things. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying that just because you believe the Bible's without error and that it is inspired, that you're all going to come to the same interpretation. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm also saying that we, but we are going to take every every word of it, every sentence of it, seriously, and hopefully you you're going to read whole sections and and then relate it to the rest of Scripture, where it's very common in liberal circles to not connect passages of Scripture together because they don't believe they're connected. Oh, okay. Like I believe that one God, one mind was behind this, right? Mm-hmm. Now, to be clear, he used men to write it, okay? Mm-hmm. And it, I'm not saying that he took over their bodies and they were just like robots. I'm not saying that like their personalities are in there, their writing styles are in there, all of that. But, but what they're writing, though, is still God's words, okay? And, I, and so, therefore, I believe all of it's connected, so from Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, all, all that's within that Bible is connected, okay? And so I can interpret Scripture with Scripture. I can, and I can connect all these things and make sure it's, you know, it's kind of like a check and balance for it. But if I don't believe 
that's all God's words, I'm not going to try to connect it all together because it doesn't need to be connected all together. Okay. And that's where... So, in, that, so that leaves verses to be interpreted incorrectly or however you want. Yeah, incorrectly. Yeah, because you've interpreted it however you want it to. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've had like three episodes now on this one true God. On the, the one... The two-word phrase that you sent me? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it, it exploded a little bit. Yeah. So now that we've had time to discuss it all, what are your thoughts on this one true God? Okay. Based, based on the episodes that we have... Based on the direction that this, <laughs> this podcast took on this one true God subject... Uh, the thing I've been thinking about most is looking around my house for ghosts, thinking, you know, not ghosts, but like, 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 uh, like whip, whipping my head around, looking at everything I own and going and going, you know, like poking at it a little bit with a stick. <laughs> see if the demon's yeah, going to come out. See if it's going <laughs> to, not really, but I have actually, I mean, yeah, I've been thinking about that. Okay. Like, it just made me think, like, huh, do I own anything? Like, and the reason I thought of the books was because I have a Book of Mormon at home that someone tried to, you know, push on me. Right. Yeah. And so I've read third of that. Okay. All the way through. I got to the part where it stopped being fan fiction and... <laughs> <laughs> And and turned into contradictory text. Gotcha. Yeah, which it it's a hard left turn in the middle there. <laughs> if I remember correctly, it's been a while. But anyway, so I've just been thinking about stuff like that, and then thinking about like, well, is there stuff I turn into to gods that aren't actual things, or like beliefs I hold that isn't right. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's what this podcast is for, but that's what I've been thinking about the most. No, that's good. I guess. <laughs> You're looking around at demons, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I really did not know like what to think about about other gods. Like and or what those things were. And so because when I was as I was writing out notes and questions for this i was just like wait a minute what what are these things actually hmm. and because people believed in something that they thought was real mm -hmm. and so just knowing that there's real not gods that are spiritual beings behind some of these things is is interesting i guess yeah agreed i don't think most people really think about that right oh and one more thing Obviously, Christians are really bad at business. <laughs> that is something you definitely came to tonight. I definitely came to this time. Yeah. Because that's the stupidest business practice ever. <laughs> Telling everyone your competition is going to get you the same result, that's dumb. And and I don't know. They needed a business coach or something before they started doing this. <laughs> so you're saying that's not the direction you would have gone? I No, probably not. <laughs> you, you don't say the other guys are just as good as you are. 
Yeah, I, I agree. It's bad business model. <laughs> I agree. I, I agree. Bad business plan, model, the whole thing. I agree. <laughs> I agree. So, anyway, I think that should have been obvious. Right. right. But not only is it a bad business model, it's just not right. Well, yeah. I mean, let's, let's don't forget <laughs> that part. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Cool. This has been the Winter Herders Podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Rumble. And you can also find us on Patreon, where we have uh, a $5 tier there that you can give to us to help us grow this podcast even further. You can follow me at Nate Robinsoff on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow Joseph on Instagram at... Rev Joe T. This has been the one I heard this podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.